Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Friends, our reading this morning as we continue our Walks of Faith Sermon Series presents itself from the book of Joshua. Now, most scholars agree that the story of the crossing of the Jordan reinforces sacred traditions which are considered foundational for ancient Israel's cultural identity and survival. This passage, which we will hear, which was most likely written by several authors, offers a reminder to us today that as Christians, we too share spiritual roots with the lineage of ancient Israel and can learn from their journeying through the wilderness towards the fulfillment of God's promise. God's continuing provision for God's people through the law, echoing back to Moses and the Red Sea is made clear in the reading. But as those ancient Israelites stood on the banks of the Jordan, poised on the brink of the fulfillment of the promises of God, it cannot be lost that liberation in ancient Israel cannot be separated from the genocide and colonization of the indigenous Canaanite groups. Another way to translate the Hebrew word hakbar, which means to cross, is to pass by. Even when we are not a conquering people, as the Israelites did, there is still danger of passing people by, ignoring their humanity and our shared connection to one another, as well as the land. So let us turn now, and with open hearts, Hear the words from Joshua chapter 3, selected verses. Early in the morning, Joshua rose and set out from Shittim with all the Israelites, and they came to the Jordan. They camped there before crossing over. Then Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel so that they may know that I will be with you as I was with Moses. You are the one who shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. When the people set out from their tents to cross over the Jordan, the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant were in front of the people. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. So when those who bore the Ark had come to the Jordan and the feet of the priest bearing the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, the waters flowing from above stood still rising in a single heap far off at Adam, the city which is beside Zarathon, while those flowing toward the Sea of Arabah, the Dead Sea, were wholly cut off. Then the people crossed over opposite Jericho. While all Israel was crossing over on dry ground, the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan until the entire nation had finished crossing over the Jordan. 
May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. about 45 years old, I was really proud of the fact that I could be anywhere and find my way home. Having grown up in Southern California, I discovered early on I, I could literally be in any place in Los Angeles, just drop me anywhere, and I'll know where I'm going and how to get home. And then at the age of 45, I moved to Denver <laughs> and encountered this, this weird grid that was, I mean, perfectly square until somebody said, we should rotate this about 12 degrees and then put a bunch of one-way roads in. And in California, they don't put in one-way. People just say, we'll just pave it. I mean, everywhere. But here, it's hard to find my way. Every time I'm downtown with Lori, there's a moment in that drive where she says, you have no idea where you're going, do you? It helps to know where we are going and where the destination is that we want to find. We are all going somewhere with our lives, aren't we? Uh, sometimes we're going forward, making progress. Sometimes we're going backwards and running from something. But to be human is to be on the move. Even Madison Avenue over the decades has capitalized on this this, this phenomenon that we experience as humans and on the move. Remember Nissan once had that, that creative slogan in selling their cars, uh, life is a journey, enjoy the ride, to which Mazda just said, zoom, zoom, zoom. <laughs> Microsoft years ago launched that new version of Windows with the question, where do you want to go today? And now even still, when we find ourselves in a mess and we need a break, what does Southwest say? Um, want to get away. We're all moving somewhere, and it's always been that way. When I read the Bible, I read it through this one lens of a people on a move. And the Bible captures beautifully and often painfully this universal journey that we are all on together. The Bible is about a people who are on the move, and where are they going? They're trying to make their way home. When we read the Bible, we hear over and over again three overarching themes. 
One, that life is a journey. Two, that the ache that fuels our journey in life is the experience of longing for home. And three, the hope that sustains us on our journey is that we will arrive before we depart. These three simple rules or truths describe, I think, the universal human experience. We're all on a journey. We're going from there to here and then from here to there on our search for home. And home is not necessarily a house or a specific place or even a a point on a map. The kind of home that we're all longing for, I think, is a place or an experience of being completely at home in the world, known, accepted, loved, a sense of being at peace with ourselves and with the people in our lives and with the surroundings that we're in. And that home is, can be found wherever we happen to be in the world. It's not the kind of home that we really long for, and yet that home can be so elusive for us. It's hard to find. We don't even know when we're there most of the time, and a lot of time we, uh, we don't stay very long. And so most of us in the modern world, we live with this palpable sense of home sickness, this ache that we feel inside at times of being far from home. Again, not where we grew up necessarily, but that sense or experience of being at home in the world. And so we keep searching for the course of, over the course of our lives, and we are fueled on that search by this ache of homesickness, and we are driven by this hope that someday we'll find it. We will arrive there before we depart from this world. Isn't that the meaning of life? To arrive before we depart. Have you ever paused long enough in your life to ask the question, am I home right now? Is the road that I'm on leading to that sense of home that I long for? Uh, How will I know when I'm there? So our story from Joshua is about this same ache of homesickness and the same hope of finally arriving at home. And the story brings us and the Israelites to the threshold of their new home, which is the promised land. It is a story about this daring decision that they must make in order to cross over, to claim it. For decades, the, as you recall, the Israelites were fueled by homesickness because they were never home. They spent so many decades in Egypt as slaves. They dreamed of home, but they didn't know what it would look like. And then when Moses liberated them through the Red Sea, all they could do was, was chase this hope that Moses kept giving them, that they would arrive someday in the land flowing with milk and honey. And they had this hope all along, and the journey through the wilderness was long and painful. Amazing victories, magnificent defeats along the way. Nobody was even sure if they'd ever get there. In fact, many of them had departed, so to speak, before they even arrived at today's moment in the story. They died of homesickness. And just when it seems like Moses would finally lead them into the promised land, Moses dies. This is one of the most heartbreaking details of the Exodus story. Not even Moses gets to arrive before he departs. He leads them all this way. He goes through so much 
trouble with them, and yet he doesn't make it home. And so when we meet up with the Israelites in this passage you just heard, uh, it's just days after the death of Moses. Joshua has been installed as their leader, and he's standing before the people on the shores of the Jordan River, announcing that the day of their homecoming has finally arrived. And all that's, all that's in front of them, all that's between them and the promised land, is this seemingly big, impassable river. And the way the story unfolds with its drama, the Jordan seems like it's a major obstacle. It says it's spring, the, the rivers are swollen and, and flooding, and the banks are, are impassable. It's apparently going to take, in other words, a big miracle for them to get across to the other side. Just like it took a miracle for the Israelites to get through the Red Sea 40 years earlier. I just want to ask one question. Have you ever been to the Jordan River? I have. Um, This detail in the story is odd because this river, this Jordan River, it's no no Colorado River like tumbling down the Rockies during spring snowmelt. This is a a rather placid, shallow, um, mostly very passable body of water. I don't want to steal the Bible's thunder here, but if it really took a miracle for these people to get through the Jordan, that explains a lot why it took them 40 years to get through the wilderness, (laughs) because that was supposed to be a 10-day journey. So if you are skeptical of these miraculous details in the story, maybe it helps to remember that this is not really a story about what God is doing for them. There are many Bible stories that do that. They explain the miraculous power of God to lead people out of trouble. This is not one of those. This is a story about what the people do in response to God's call. The real miracle of the story is not that somehow God stopped the waters flowing so that people could pass through. The real miracle is that these people actually left the familiar shoreline of the wilderness and dared to cross over into unknown territory with risks and uncertainties and no guarantee. Of course, God promised them the promised land. It was going to be theirs, but there's one really important detail in the story, and that is there were already people in the promised land. Canaan was occupied by a lot of people. In fact, Scripture says seven different tribes none of whom were just going to roll out the red carpet and throw a welcome home party for the Israelites. On the other side of that river were Canaanites and Hittites and Hivites and Parasites and Girgashites and Amorites and Jebusites. Are you, like me, wondering at this very moment in the story what will happen with them? Because according to the story, God is going to drive them out of their own land. And there's a, there's a lot about this part of the story that's super problematic. Uh, this river crossing suddenly becomes a, a, a very sort of controversial part of the story. When you consider the bloodshed and the violence that has taken place in that very land over the last 75 years, and in particular the last seven days, I think most of us should at least struggle a little bit with the injustice 
of this tragic assumption that there are some people in this world that must be displaced or even destroyed so that others of us can be home. This belief that God actually sanctions violence has served as theological justification for so many historic atrocities. The Crusades, the eradication of indigenous peoples in North America, the transatlantic slave trade, the Holocaust, the apartheid era in South Africa, even the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and of course, the thousands of deaths of Israelis and Palestinians just over the last seven days. So we can't overlook the problematic detail that once these Israelites crossed the Jordan, it didn't go very well for the Canaanites and the Hittites and all the other ites that were already there. In fact, a lot of harm and bloodshed ensued that in the modern world today can never, ever be condoned or justified. But this story is not here to justify colonization or the forceful seizure of land from people. This story here is presented to us to help us understand the universal spiritual journey of crossing over. The Jordan River crossing has always been a symbol of the so-called border crossings in our lives. When we are stuck in the old world, the wilderness, like the Israelites, and this borders that prevent us from moving into new territory in our lives. The Jordan River crossing is this enduring paradigm for the brave journey every one of us in this room must take if we are ever to find our true home, which makes it a freedom story. And that is why uh, the African-Americans wrote spirituals in the 19th century to capture the image of the Jordan River as a paradigm of freedom and liberation. For the enslaved people, crossing Jordan was a symbol of dying to the old identity as a slave and moving into a new world as free people. And so they sang, wade in the water, Wade in the water, wade in the water, God's going to trouble the water. That was a song of political resistance. Crossing Jordan meant going home to restore a community that had been broken by slavery and oppression. And so they wrote a spiritual that said, I'm going down to the river of Jordan. I'm going to set at the welcome table I'm going to feast off milk and honey. And so the river crossing story calls every one of us to imagine our own borders and barriers and obstacles that keep us stuck in the old world that prevent us from going home. And so we ask the question, what's holding us back? What's keeping us from experiencing freedom? What do we need to let go of? What river must we cross to get home? If you find yourself in this moment of life, standing on the the threshold of, of new discoveries, I think this story offers two amazing details, clues about how we can cross over and experience freedom. And the first is 
we can't look back. We can't turn back. That's the wonderful part of this story, which is also the tragic part. Moses dies. Moses gets them all this way, and he can't go into the land. Not only was Moses uh, their answer, solution to every problem, he was the embodiment of God. And so Moses dies, and what does God command them to do? He commands the people to bury him before they cross. What's tragic about this is nobody knows where they buried Moses, even to this very day. All it says is he was buried in the land of Moab, and there's no marker on his grave. To this day, nobody knows for sure where. Does this seem like a cruel and thankless way to bury your leader? I mean, why didn't they just take him and his body into the promised land? Didn't he deserve that much? Didn't he earn that? Why didn't they at least mark his grave so people can go back and forth and honor his legacy? But in the story, God commands the people to bury Moses in the old world. Why? Because human beings know what it means to long for what used to be. And we all know the power that longing for what used to be has over the longing for what might be. To be human is to long for the the good old days. Do you ever find yourself looking back, reminiscing? The word for that is nostalgia. Nostalgia is a Greek word, comes from the root nostos, which means to return home. It features prominently in the story of uh, Odysseus on the, in the Odyssey and this long journey that he has of homesickness and longing for home. Nostalgia is to go back where you came from, to go back to where it all began. It's the sentimental painting or the wistful affection for the past. We, uh, we often take comfort in looking back We like to remember the good times, and whenever somebody is grieving in my office over the loss of somebody they love, part of my, always part of my counsel is remember the good times. Remember the good memories, the experiences, the achievements that you shared with that person, and yet you still have to move forward. What makes nostalgia so dangerous to us What makes it so paralyzing for us is that nostalgia often turns the past into something bigger and more wonderful and more desirable than it actually ever was. We turn it into something that is better than what might be. And so nostalgia can be a drug that numbs us to the possibilities of our future. It never satisfies our homesickness. There's nothing wrong with remembering the good times, but in God's calculus, it's never faithful to try to go back and live them again. God's call is always to cross the rivers in front of us, not behind us. Moses helped them find a home in the wilderness, but it wasn't their permanent home. And so Moses died, and he had to stay in the old world. And the story says one more clue that I think is so helpful. If you want to cross over and wade in the water and come finally home, there's one more clue here. 
And that is, we have to always understand that the presence of God goes before us. And our task in life is to pursue the presence. In the story, the people are commanded to uh, follow the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, The Ark is the symbol of God's presence in the world for them. The Ark contains the covenant, the so-called law that says, you do this for me and I'll do this for you. And it's the agreement between God and the people. And it's the holiest object on earth for the people. A reminder that God is with them. And so Joshua tells them, all you have to do is pursue the ark and you'll make it home. As you read this passage, it's attempting to assume there or assign some magical superpower to the ark. It almost sounds like this um, kind of lucky charm or a, a magical uh, rabbit's foot that's going to help them out and give them good fortune. But the ark is simply a symbol of the way God always works by going out in front of us, calling us and luring us forward. Have you ever thought to yourself, you know, it'd be really nice if we could actually see the presence of God? I mean, we could go anywhere. We would do anything if it was so clear to us. But look at this detail. In the story, the people are commanded to follow the ark by 2,000 cubits. That's 3,000 feet. Unless they had binoculars, they didn't see anything. This wasn't a a walk-by-sight experience. It was all trust. Whenever we face rivers in our own lives, and we wonder how we're going to get across, we often find ourselves sort of stuck between binaries. We think there must be one good way, and the rest are bad ways. And we, we fall into this catastrophic thinking that if we don't choose the right way, we'll never make it. We tend to think that there's always only one way and only one next step, and the rest are not faithful. But what the Bible says over and over again is this. There's almost always more than one way to go and more than one right step to take. Rarely does God ever give us these binary choices. God gives us an abundance of multiple options to choose from. And sometimes we choose ways that are going to take us longer to get there. And sometimes we choose ways that are super painful for us and for others. Sometimes we choose the best way. But in faith as in life, what we find is there's almost more, almost always more than one way to get home. And all we have to do is take one step and stop and listen and do it again. And what we find along the way is that with every step we take, God is taking a step too, waiting, listening. All we have to do is choose a way and take one step. As one philosopher describes faith, which I love, Faith is risk with direction. Risk with direction. We take a risk, we follow a direction, and we do it again and again. This is how we wade through the waters of the rivers of our lives. We do two things. 
we refuse to look back or go back or walk back into the wilderness, and we choose a way forward by taking one step at a time. And what we discover is that we can make it home one step at a time. Takeaways for today, the meaning of life is to arrive before we depart. God's call is always to cross the rivers before us, not the rivers behind us. There is always, almost always, more than one way to get home and more than one right step to take. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.